Welcome to ACE Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in as we elevate clinical endocrinology by taking deep dives into trends and topics that can help us improve our patient care and global health. Find the latest episodes on aace.com slash podcasts. And now let's meet the endocrine experts who will be talking with us today. Hello, everyone. I'm Dr. Betul Hatipolu. I'm a professor of medicine at Case Western Reserve and a vice chair of internal medicine at the University Hospital Internal Medicine Department. I'm also a director for Diabetes and Obesity Center. And today I have a pleasure to introduce you one of my colleagues, a friend, Dr. Sanjay Rajagopolan. He is a professor of medicine at Case Western Reserve and our Chief of Cardiovascular Medicine at the University Hospitals. He's also Director for Cardiovascular Research Institute. Thank you so much for coming today, Sanjay. Thank you, Batul. So uh, happy to be here with you today. And thank you for the opportunity of joining you today on this podcast. Thank you. You know, there have been almost a decade that I heard an amazing speaker talk about environmental chemicals and their effect on our health. It was striking at that time for me as this person included the possibility of all these unknown environmental pollutants on the health of perhaps a baby causing neurodevelopmental disease, which, as you know, I have someone dear to my heart. And since then, this topic became dear to me. And I want to know how you got actually interested in this topic yourself. That's great. Thank you for the question. I think it's serendipity, as is always the case in life, that brought me into contact with the environment nearly 20 years ago when a friend of mine was investigating environmental causes of cardiovascular health and invited me to join him in his effort to investigate one component of our microscopic environment, that the air we breathe, and look at the effects of polluted air on vascular health. This is nearly 22 years ago, to be precise, in Michigan and Ann Arbor, which is where I was. And that started us on a journey down investigating little-known factors like you allude to that could have a larger than expected effect on not only lifespan, but health span. And importantly for the topic of our discussion today, metabolic health. Thank you. Why is the environment important in metabolic health? Well, Batul, you know this all too well. I think the knowledge to date is that monogenic components of obesity and diabetes exert a very, very small effect on the population burden of type 2 diabetes. The known genome-wide association studies and the genomic variants that contribute to type 2 diabetes are also very, very small, you know, literally less than 150. Now, they could be potentially components of polygenic interactions that we know through more detailed sequencing of the genome and perhaps through other variations in the genome, including epigenomic modifications, which I think are going to be very, very important. But the knowledge to date suggests that the contribution of genetics to diabetes is really small. And we we know from experience taking care of people that lifestyle choices and the choices that people make, including other known environmental disruptors, such as chemicals in the environment, air pollution for that matter, and other unknown emerging aspects of the environment do appear to play an undue 
a larger than thought uh, influence on metabolic health. It's certainly the case for cardiovascular disease, where several estimates suggest that more than 90% of cardiovascular myocardial infarction, for instance, is from environmental causes. Now, that does not, just to make sure that our audience understands this, it does not preclude the importance of the environment, and in particular, gene environment interactions, where the environment might influence the genome rather than the other way around, right? And but that's yet to, that chapter is yet to unfold. This is fascinating. You know how we always talk about lifestyles. Everyone knows about lifestyles, right? You know, exercise is important. Food is important. Nurturing yourself is important. But we don't necessarily think about the air we breathe being that important. The, the water that, that we are exposed to is that important. So what are the components of environment that could play a role in metabolic health beside the lifestyle? Great question again. I'd like to answer the question from what I'd like to term a wider angle view of health in general. We as physicians for obvious reasons, tend to focus very narrowly on systems, on aspects of health that we are, um, we have expertise on, and for, for that matter of control over, okay? But it, it is becoming poignantly apparent that things like social determinants of health, where you live, your social environment, food accessibility, you know, the availability of healthcare, childhood trauma, depression, mental health, all of these are, you know, the larger environment that we live in. And in fact, in cardiovascular disease is often the case of metabolic health. The zip code or where you live has an undue amount of influence on multiple components of your health. Uh, as I mentioned to you, lifespan, a zip code can predict lifespan very well, <laughs> as it turns out, certainly your health span and obviously metabolic health. It's fascinating. But this has been known for a while, I would think, since 1960s indeed, right? The first, when the first reports about, especially endocrine disrupting chemicals started to be seen in our literature. Why now? Mm. Uh, again, incredibly important question. You're right, the genesis and the association, even for air pollution, right? We've known this association between air pollution and cardiovascular health since the late 1990s. But over the last decade or so, I think the association with cardiovascular health have become very, very obvious, both through epidemiologic analysis. And you now know that in global burden of disease, air pollution and its association with diabetes is taken, to, taken into account in order to understand the worldwide prevalence of diabetes. And there's a remarkable association between air pollution exposure to your earlier question. Why is it important now? Well, it's important because right now there are, unfortunately for us, a lot of, how should I say, competing agendas that are threatening the environment at large, which obviously contribute to enormous problems like climate change. And environmental pollution is at the heart of climate change. One way of looking at climate change, and this is a big shift in thinking, from a climate change conference called COP26, which recently concluded in Glasgow, several months ago in Glasgow, Scotland, which is a yearly meeting where countries come together to talk about air pollution, to set limits and sort of reconsider the science. And one of the big shifts was that anthropogenic activity and anthropogenic pollution 
on the planet is the biggest cause of climate change. And the, the best way to link climate change and make it actionable to physicians and to patients and to the average public is to link the health effects of pollution with climate change. Then the thinking starts shifting, right? People start, not, they don't look at air pollution as something that's decades away, 2050 and all of a sudden the world, and I'm not even concerned about 2050, most people will tell you. I'm concerned about how do I get the day done and how do I live today, right? And most of the planet, unfortunately, for, uh, for those of us who are fortunate to live in North America and lead relatively prosperous lives, I would say uh, we, we have the luxury of thinking about climate change. But most people don't have been, they want to think about how do they get their meal tomorrow, right? Sure. But by linking it to, to health and linking it to sustainability, how do, you, how do you really live with equilibrium with, with the environment is a way to counteract not only climate change, but also pollution. And by linking that, you almost all of a sudden, you make a shift in thinking. And one thing I'll say before stopping this, before we move on to the next question, is that food systems, which are at the heart of metabolic health, are one of the biggest causes of pollution in the planet, right? And sustainability. So I think metabolic health and where metabolic health meets food sustainability and pollution is really ground zero, not only for air pollution, but for metabolic health and health at large for all of us. So food is medicine is true. So true. 100%. Absolutely. We have forgotten this, right? We have forgotten it in the centuries, but food is medicine and we have to be rethought about that. Tell me a bit about what you mean with environment linked to sustainability. Right. So going back to our previous discussion, I think, Everything that we do as denizens of the planet has an impact on the environment. And the goal of sustainable living is to live in harmony with the environment so that you take less and you give out more, hopefully, if that's even possible. But at least live in equilibrium where the consumption, whether it's uh, with, let's take food, for instance, you know, food sustainability and how that uh, turns out. Food happens to contribute and the way we procure food contributes to 25 to 30 percent of global CO2 emissions. And it has to do with cattle farming, red meat production all across the globe that contributes to an inordinate amount of greenhouse gases and air pollution. The same gases that cause air pollution also contribute to climate change. So the solution for cleaner air is intricately linked to climate change solutions, right? And in that is how we consume food, what we eat, you know, our inordinate requirement or sort of requirement for meats as a society and a growing society is a large part of the problem. But that's also a cause, as you know, for diabetes and cardiovascular health. Now, I'm not advocating that we should all stop eating meat. Uh, nobody would agree with that. But just being more conscious about the choices that you make, reducing the amount of meat consumption, increasing the amount of plant-based foods is not only good for you from a health perspective, from a metabolic perspective, but also good for the planet. That's the way I would link you know, these two you know, intractable problems that we have to that we have to face up to because the moment of reckoning is coming <laughs> soon, whether we like it or not. So we will change a little bit the gears, I think. As you know, there is so much emphasis on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And for our listeners, just to remind them that this is used usually for programs and policies so that we can include diverse group of people when it comes to gender, race, ethnicity, 
abilities or disabilities, religions and cultural background, age and sexual orientation and so forth. So we all talk about diversity, equity and inclusion. Also, this is linked to environmental, social and governance part of the equation, you know, environmentally, water efficiency, waste and pollution and deforestation, which is so close to my heart. Oh, my God, I, I just can't even think about it. It's just almost like a slaughtering and human rights and equal opportunities. Everything is linked into, into this two important, perhaps, concepts. And we know that many Fortune 500 companies are focused on these issues for a, for a while. And why we are in healthcare <laughs> so far behind? Yeah, I think, you know, healthcare, first of all, thank you. This is such an important question because... Uh, diversity, equity, inclusion is uh, the heart of our mission in health, right? We want to be equitable to people. We want to provide people the same way and care for the people the same way, regardless of where they come from or what their social or economic circumstances or what they look like. And ESG, again, is something that multinationals have embraced because this is a future. There's no planet without a future. There's no future without a planet. So <laughs> I think the point is that, you know, the sooner we start thinking about how are we going to broadly live in equilibrium with the environment, address issues like deforestation, which is again linked to land use and cattle farming is used to everything that we do as human beings on this earth, how we pollute less are all fundamentally important problems. And why is this late to healthcare? You know, I think multinationals have figured out very quickly that the future for them is in a path which embraces green energy, clean energy solutions, and, and living in harmony. And there's money to be made in this area, right? There's big money to be made. So people know what's coming, and they're planning accordingly. There's also a certain amount of de-risking that needs to be done. If I was a company and I had assets in a, in a vulnerable part of the world, subject to floods and forest fires, I wouldn't want to protect it from climate change. So I'm going to be investing in insurance and taking in risk mitigation. So no wonder healthcare, I mean, multinationals are interested in it. Healthcare is behind because they don't see an immediate future for them in terms of a margin that they can make out of this proposition. And I would submit to you very humbly that there is a pathway forward for healthcare organizations to live sustainably, make margin out of it, and at the same time, reduce costs for our patients. And one good example would be saving costs for downstream effects of environmental disruption. I mean, if you're feeding kids bisphenols and plastics, well, they're going to have a higher incidence of diabetes down the road. So why can't you make investments now in reducing those costs attributable to pollution 40 years down the road? It makes sense to me. But the problem in healthcare is nobody's looking that far ahead. They're looking at one year down the road, looking at hospital budgets and how they can figure out a way to make a margin in the next year, right? So that's the healthcare industry for you. So that's one of the reasons why. <laughs> but you know, Sanjay, there are now so many initiatives on population health and, and accountable healthcare knocking our doors. So I think that the healthcare organizations has more maybe incentive to improve the environmental and climate footprint. What can they do, do you think? What can we tell our executives and CEOs in the different places in the world and in the United States? What can they do? 
Yeah, no, no, that's absolutely great. And thank you for grounding the field that we are speaking about. Number one, look, the point of being provocative here, which I was in the last response to you, was merely to force these types of conversations, which is we need to be put in uncomfortable places to come up with solutions. And the vision is clearly there. The question is, how do we get there? And as you correctly mentioned, I think population health strategies are so immensely important for that very reason, because the, the cost savings are not immediate, but they are downstream, okay? And they're substantive. But again, the thinking needs to change and the economics of healthcare delivery needs to change in terms of accounting pathways that take into good account and good measure the cost savings downstream. And I'm not sure that that's really percolated. You know, we talk in terms of population health. But in terms of the cost accounting solutions of how we look at balance sheets, I can tell you that's not how we look at things. You don't look at your hospital budget and say, okay, I made an investment of a million dollars in population health. And I know you and I know that. And I do know the people that we work with know that because they're invested in population health. But you know, I think the problem is where the rubber meets the road is where you actualize those costs into your budgets and to your finances. And that's unfortunately beyond the five-year horizon of most hospital C-suites. And I'll just be frank with you, right? Because we're having a very good conversation here, but that's the reality of it. What needs to happen is those cost savings need to be baked in to the financials of an organization in order to really see the health impact. And then it becomes real, that money becomes real, and then the investments become real. So I think we're starting in a very good path. I think they're making a tremendous amount of investments in these areas that are likely to pay off. And I do hope there's a lot more money paid into the prevention of diabetes. And I know how passionate you are about remission of diabetes and curing diabetes altogether. That's the kind of investment that needs to occur. And I would love to see a financial spreadsheet that says, how much are we going to invest in eliminating type 2 diabetes? <laughs> I love that, Sanjay. So other than stop eating red meat and walking to work, what can I do myself or, or all of us who are listening to you in this podcast individually to improve the environment and the climate footprint? What can we do so that we can help no. the future? Great question. I think I would say I would start with the biggest bang for the buck. Number one, start with food systems first. Reduce your own personal food wastage. Look at your refrigerator. Make choices about what you're going to eat. Look at the amount of money that you spend on your food and mitigate your wastage. 30% of food that we consume gets wasted. And if you think about red meats, my goodness, for every kilogram of beef or pork or chicken that you buy, if you're wasting a third of it, as most Americans do, that's literally unethical, right? Because, you know, a poor animal has sacrificed itself for your consumption. You have to exert very adequate responsibility towards being uh, protecting those investments that are being made for your benefit, number one. Secondly, I would say reduce the amount of trash. Look at your trash can every day. Look and see what you can preserve. And uh, the size of most American trash bags are immense. And guess what? China isn't taking our trash anymore. It's going to find its way into your uh, landfill, uh, your local landfill somewhere close by, right? It's polluting your environment. So the second thing you could do. Third thing you do is try to take your own coffee mug and reduce your plastics. Don't use, you know, reusable stuff anywhere. Don't use a plastic bag. Take a bag with you too and reduce your consumption so that you can do very easily. 
right? You don't, there's no money. You're saving money actually by doing it. It's for your own benefit. Thirdly, if you happen to live in polluted areas, you know, obviously be mindful of the fact that personal protection equipment, if you live in California and you have forest fires, or if you happen to be vulnerable individuals, you have pre-existing cardiovascular disease, look at your air quality locally and see whether you need to wear an N95 mask, which you might be wearing, by the way, because there's something called COVID going around. So you might be wearing you know, an N95s anyways, which is good for you from an air pollution perspective. So you might want to do that. And, and finally, try to make conscious choices about where you have to travel, if you really have to travel. Uh, airplane travel does cause CO2 emissions. And you, know, you might want to really reserve your travel to areas that you really want to do to reduce your carbon footprint. And the argument often is, well, I'm only one person. How am I going to save the planet? Well, it starts with one person, right? It takes one person and it takes one step on a thousand mile journey. So we all have to make our contributions. Wow, this was wonderful, Sanjay. We are so lucky to have you as one person that's going to teach so many other healthcare providers and those healthcare providers will go and teach their own patients and family and friends. And that's how everything starts, one person at a time. I appreciate your time and your wisdom and we are grateful for today. Thank you for being with us. Absolutely. Well said, Batul. I'm grateful to be here with you today. Thank you for the opportunity for sharing. Thanks for listening to another great ACE podcast. Join us for another episode at aace.com slash podcasts and help us in our mission to elevate clinical endocrinology. Together, we are ACE.